Welcome back to Salty Saints Podcast. I am Zach, and I'm hanging out with Randy, and we are talking through some viewer questions today, so I'm kind of excited to do that. Yeah, I am too. These are your questions, and uh, we got a couple of real good ones today. So, uh, who who is our first question from, Randy? Well, Kent um, sent us a question, and... In that question, no, you've got that question. I've got it here. Um, Kent said, what is the context of a sinner in the Old Testament or during the earthly time of Jesus? In Matthew 9-11, it says, Jesus accused, uh, Jesus accused of eating with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, yet Paul said in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned. Clearly, this concept was understood as there were sacrifices offered in the grounds and clearly demonstrated in John 8. So what is a sinner in this context? I think that's a great question. It's one that I I had frequently um, just reading through the New Testament. You come across uh, a number of passages where it says Jesus ate with sinners. And I don't know, I kind of got this idea of everybody had a name tag. And, uh, you know, there's, hello, I am Jesus, mm-hmm. son of God, and hello, I am Peter, disciple. And then there's a bunch of people that had, hey, I am John Doe, sinner. You know, it seems like they clearly were able to identify themselves as sinners. The Pharisees certainly stopped by and said, well, those guys are sinners, you're eating with sinners. And it seems like they themselves weren't all that, uh, 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 let's say, rejecting of that. Yeah. Uh, the, so I, I don't really know exactly where you're about to take us with this because uh, when we brought this up originally, you were like, oh, I have an answer for that. And I was like, all right, well, you've got that part. And um, it's because it was a question that I had many moons ago. And did a little bit of research on it and was able to find some stuff that I thought was incredibly interesting. Okay. Well, so, like, without knowing, though, where you're going, when sort of like how you've always read that verse and had, like, you, you used to have kind of your idea of what that meant. To me, what it always pointed out was that it showed how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law looked down on other people as if they were sinners while they themselves were not sinners. And that's a big part of the answer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that kind of fits in the context when when uh, Jesus talks to the Pharisees. Uh, one of the times, for example, he, he says, uh, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for sinners. So was there a group of people that Jesus didn't come for? Uh-huh. But what he's saying is, you think you're righteous, and you think they're sinners. Well, I came for the sinners. I came for you, too, but you just haven't recognized that you're sinners yet. Right, right. It's kind of like these people are fully aware of the fact that they're sinners because everyone's telling them they are. That's right. But you need to come to recognize that you are as well. That's right. Okay. That's right. So, tear into it. Let's do it. Okay, so I looked up on uh, Logos, mm-hmm. uh, found that in the Gospels, uh, sinners is used 
27 times. Okay. I was kind of surprised by that. I thought it would be a lot more. I was going to say that's low. Yeah, like, it I... seems low. Well, here's the other part of that. 14 of those times are in Luke. Really? So Matthew, Mark, and John only mention sinners 13 times. And here's the other kicker. Okay. It's three different incidents. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You mean three separate ones between them? or like Three they... separate ones between them. So they don't share those same... No, they do. They oh, okay, do. okay. They do. It's repeated. Okay, okay it's repeated. I understand that. So the first time it happens... Um, well, let's kind of get into everything here, all, all 27 times. Um, sometimes sinners are described by the writers. Okay. Uh, Matthew, writing the book, said Jesus was sitting with uh, tax collectors and sinners eating. Uh, now the Pharisees came up right after that and says, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So really, Matthew, he's not necessarily saying it's Matthew writing about himself uh, first time it happens and Matthew's friends Matthew is the tax collector his friends are the sinners right. of that story so really what Matthew is saying I know the Pharisees are about ready to call us sinners so I'll just kind of let the reader know here as we ease our way into this passage Jesus was eating with me and my buddies tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees came up and said why is he eating with sinners so sometimes uh, it's the evangelist himself the gospel writer who calls these people sinners happens here when Matthew and his friends have Jesus over to eat happens in Luke chapter 7 when a woman comes in to anoint Jesus and Luke says, a woman who was a sinner came in to anoint Jesus. And then Luke 15, um, that's the, the scripture passage, the, the, uh, the parable of uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the prodigal son. Okay. It all starts off when Luke says, and sinners... We're following Jesus and listening to Jesus. And in each case, uh, the point of the parable is to say Jesus came for sinners. Okay. Religious leaders describe people as sinners. And frankly, we've hit all three of these main things. Uh Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about Matthew's friends as sinners. The religious leaders called them sinners. Uh, Luke 7, the woman who comes in to anoint Jesus, the Pharisee in whose Jesus' house, in, in whose house Jesus is eating, calls the woman a sinner. And then um, also in John chapter 9, religious leaders called a number of people sinners because Jesus healed them on the Sabbath day and they followed him. The rest of the time, the rest of these 27 times, it's Jesus 
talking about a group of people. And here's the fun thing. He looks at what the Pharisees are doing, and he says, okay, you say I eat with sinners. So Jesus says, here are the sinners. But when Jesus identifies people as sinners without exception, he's talking about the religious leaders themselves. He turns the tables on them. He says, if you really understood, you'd recognize that you are the sinners. Hmm. So that's kind of interesting. Jesus doesn't look at the people that he's eating with as sinners. Now, he uses that term, but he uses it because the religious leaders have used that term to describe them. So it's like he's judging them by the standard of which they've judged. Pretty much. Ooh, if yeah. only that were written somewhere in the Bible. <laughs> that would be an interesting passage. Wouldn't <laughs> okay. So we got to come back to the original question, though. When the, when the religious leaders call this group of people sinners, what are they really talking about? Well, I looked around and I tried to find other uses outside of the New Testament where religious leaders would call a certain class of people sinners. Not there. They don't do it outside of the New Testament. However, what you do find is there's a group of people that they call, and it, it takes on the, the, the function of a title, the Amha'erits, the people of the land. Okay. And it, it seems that the Amha'erits are described in very pejorative terms, and it describes people that the Pharisees might call sinners. Okay, so I've got something here. I've got a book called uh, Every Man's Talmud. This is uh, from... It's a great title. Oh, it's, it, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's um, Abraham Cohen is the author. And uh, it is a book by a Jew. Uh, Cohen is a good Jewish yeah. name. It means priest. <laughs> and it's looking at his Talmud and just the essence of what it teaches. So I looked up in every man's Talmud what it had to say about the Am Ha Eretz. Um, here's what he says. He says this under rules of health. Foremost among the essentials of a well cared for but well cared for body is cleanliness. And he goes on to talk about the, the laws for ritual cleansing cleansing. Mm-hmm. Comes down in the middle of that paragraph and he says a class of persons spoken of with contempt in the Talmud is the Amaha Eretz, the people of the earth. One definition the definition of the term is Whoever does not eat his non-holy food in a condition of ritual purity. A person who despises the washing of hands before a meal is to be excommunicated or eaten. There's even a benediction prescribed for the purpose. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by thy commandments and commanded us 
concerning the washing of the hands. Now, here's the interesting thing. The Old Testament never commands us to wash our hands. Never, ever. The whole law around ritual purity and the washing of hands was something that developed from the Pharisees 170 years before Christ right. up through the time of Christ and beyond. Which is also how they kind of viewed baptism, right? Up until that point, like, the baptism, like, what John and Jesus were doing was an extension of the way that the priests would ritually cleanse themselves. Ah, uh, yeah, I think so. It is, was kind of like they were opening it, it up to it. everyone, yeah, right? And so right. that probably was not a big, great thing. That's for the yeah, either. that's not necessarily appreciated by the people of the day. But the point here is the Amaha Eretz, who are commonly and frequently referred to in the Talmud, in rabbinic teaching, and throughout intertestamental literature. That's always negative. And it always describes kind of the country bumpkin. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, these were guys that worked the field. So they'd work the field, they'd be plowing or hoeing or, or, or you know, picking up weeds or harvesting, whatever. When it came time to eat, they did not have a person to come around with water to ritually pour it over their hands three times. And this ritual cleansing was not at all about cleanliness. It was about cultic cleanliness. It wasn't whether I had dirt on my hands or not. It was whether I had been purified from the evil of the world by pouring running water over my hands three times. Okay. And that's a sinner. They didn't do that. And so they were sinners. Now, I think pretty much every time that uh, the religious leaders, which frankly is not a whole lot, it's like I say only three times, but every time that they're mentioned, uh, it's referring to common people, commoners. It's the people that aren't doing the kind of ritualistic things that the Pharisees say you need to do, despite it, whether or not they're actually in Scripture. It, right, and they aren't. Right. <laughs> the things that the Pharisees were accusing them of doing in the Old Testament, it, it doesn't care whether you wash your hands or not. That's, that's so, not what it's talking about. So, I mean, like, the way that the Pharisees would be using that term would be in, like, a literal sense of the term to sin. Sin is to miss the mark. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so they're looking at these people and say they've missed the mark. Yeah, our so, mark. Yeah, exa exactly. Right, but they right. probably didn't see it that it's way. It's not God's mark. It's our mark. But, but I would they say that, thought that what they said exactly, was God's word. Exactly. Um, okay, that's interesting. Is there anything else that would fall into that category as sinner? Or is that is that pretty well it? Like, is that the group? Once you move beyond the Gospels and you get into uh, the epistles, the sinners, it's much more a religious term. Okay. And, and it's about people who do not fulfill God's law. It's what we would call sinners. Okay. Uh, uh, it is interesting. People of the land actually does occur in the Old Testament. 
It occurs in Ezra and Nehemiah, the Samaritans who were left behind, the people who stayed behind when the rest of Israel was carried captive into Babylon. Uh, They're called the people of the land. And they are also looked down on, but they're looked down on for different reasons. They're looked down on because they didn't continue to worship the Lord. Uh, They took on the gods of the people that they intermarried with and uh, kind of forgot about the worship of the Lord. So there's probably a connection between that use of the people of the land and what the Pharisees do. But it's more, it's not that these are the descendants, these are the Samaritans. It's that Ezra and Nehemiah talks about these people, and they were obviously not good people. So, yeah, so the people of the land are just, in general, not good people. Even when you're talking about full-blooded Jews working the land in Israel, if they don't stop to wash their hands, uh, they're sinners. And and so they aren't directly referred to as sinners in that context, though, but it's sort of with the same... Right. They are referred to as Amharites. Oh, they are? Yeah. Oh, okay. But they're not called sinners. Gotcha. Right. Okay. But then but then the Pharisees would call these sinners in the New Testament also Amharites? The Pharisees in the New Testament, the, the phrase Amharites doesn't occur. No, but in the Talmud, though, would right. they refer to those people in the New they Testament? They would refer the, to them as okay. people of the land, good, full-blooded Jews who were not part of the Samaritan crowd. Uh, in fact, the Samaritans are now just called Samaritans. They're not even referred to as the Amharites. It's just kind of a connection there with a group of bad guys. Well, wait, who are the bad guys? The Amharites in Ezra and Nehemiah uh-huh. are the people who stood up and tried to keep Ezra and Nehemiah from okay. rebuilding the walls rebuilding the temple, rebuilding Jerusalem. And they were common people. And they they were called Amha-Eretz. Uh, they, that's, that's the interesting thing. They were not the common people. Uh, they were the leaders. Okay. So it's the same term. You kind of see how it developed it's from... It's like they're lowering their status. Like they're saying they're low. Ezra and Nehemiah are definitely saying these are not good people. Right. These are people of the land instead of people of God, instead of That's a little tricky. followers of the Lord. It, 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 followers of the Lord. It, it, basically, it Amha Eretz is a four-letter word, even though it's like a 14-letter word. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you they're don't want to be Amha Eretz. No, they're the scum. And that's sort Ezra of and Nehemiah says this group of people is scum, and they were the governors. Okay. They were the they were the uh, uh, you know they were the hoity-toity of his day. Okay. But they opposed the reconstruction of the wall, the reconstruction of the city, and the reconstruction of the temple. You get to Jesus' time, and the hoity-toity, the Pharisees, said, oh, these are the Amharites. These are the bad guys. Why? Because they don't wash their hands ritually before they eat. Okay. That makes sense. Now, I'm sorry, just to clarify, though. Yeah. They are not actually using the term Amharites. Are they in the Talmud, though? 
They are in the Talmud. Okay, yeah. but not in yeah. the New Testament. Not in the New Testament. But this guy, but you can draw that line and say, well, this is the same group of the people. The gospel writers in the New Testament use the word sinners. And it may be that the Pharisees by this time were also using that gotcha. word sinner. It was just apparently a short-lived thing, and it never made it into their literature. Gotcha, gotcha. Amhairetz, it's all over their literature. You don't want to be that. You don't want to be that if you're a Pharisee. <laughs> right. Uh, although Jesus, Jesus mind. was an Amhairetz. It's I mean, he was a, a person he was a, a worker. He was a carpenter. So when it came time to eat. I doubt that Joseph said, well, let's go wash our hands ritually, Jesus, so we can have lunch. Right. They just broke out their Subway sandwich and chowed down. Yeah, back in the biblical times, you know, Subway. Yeah. Eat fresh. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> of course. It was, I'm it was, sure they ate fresh. They yeah. probably didn't eat a Subway sandwich. It was like goat with a bunch of preservatives. It was yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably a lot of olives and, and nuts and, and maybe some fish here and there. So... <laughs> Okay, that's cool. So anyway, there you go, Kent. I hope that answered your question. There was a group of people that were called the Amhirates that I think the gospel writers translate that into sinners. Because writing for the Roman Empire, Amhirates didn't mean diddly squat. Right. But sinner. Okay, yeah. That, that's not to say, that's not to excuse the fact, though, that sinner clearly has a broader meaning right. in the Bible. But it is also used to describe a specific group. Once you get beyond uh, the Gospels, uh, the use of the word sinner, it, it means sinner. It, right. uh, they're they're you, also bad guys. You have fallen short. You <laughs> right. missed the mark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, second question. So the second question comes from Carrie. She says this. Here's my question. Will we have free will in heaven? Sin has been caused by man's free will, and the Bible says heaven will be free of sin, sadness, pain, etc. So if we have free will, what will stop there from being another fall? Or in heaven, will our will align with God's will? Lucifer's fall was due to pride in his will to be God. Now, there may not be an answer to this question this side of heaven, just something I've thought about. Let me know what you think. Oh, she kind of asked the question and, and kind of hints at answers. Yeah. Why didn't she ask something harder? You know, like, that's <laughs> a real question here. Um, okay. So the, the, the reason we let Randy uh, talk about sinners first is we had some kind of pretty concrete statements we could lay down on that. Yeah. And let me just tell you folks, from here on out, it is purely speculation. We're guessing at it this point. It is guesswork. <laughs> educated guesswork. Yeah, yeah. We can I mean, make some logical reasoning here. And it's good to talk about this stuff because it, like, it helps us understand God. It helps us understand what the Bible says. Um, which, by the way, isn't a whole lot about this matter. No, no. And but, that's, that's the problem. But we can... Uh, we can speculate, and so I think we will. Um, yeah, I, I think, I, I think this is a great question. <laughs> should we start with that verse uh, that she quoted? Uh, he will wipe every tear away from their eyes. Yeah, uh, she she kind of alludes to that verse. What What is that it's, verse? It's uh, Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, 
nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Um, and I just wanted to make sure I got this right, but there is also a verse about casting, is it sin into the lake of fire? Oh, they cast... It death? It's death and they Hades. They cast death and Hades. They cast uh, the beast and all of his angels... Let's make sure we get this right, though. Um, so it looks like it's Revelation 20. Uh, that sounds right. Yes. 2010. 2010, huh? Um, sorry, I just want to make sure I'm not missing anything here. Uh, and da, 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 they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people the city he loves, but fire came down from heaven and devoured them. So then 2010, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then, and then 14. 14, yeah. Uh, yeah. This is kind of an interesting one. That I'm going to add 13 in there just because I like it. The, the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what they had done uh, so 2014 then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire the lake of fire is the second death anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire and if you go back to 1920 that's the first reference 1920 you want to tackle that one the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Say that last part. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Gotcha. Um, so in 19, the beast and the prophet, in 2010, the devil joins them, and then in 2014, death and the grave get thrown into it as well. Okay. So. Gosh, we're back talking about hell again. There's no we? more. <laughs> <laughs> there's no more death. No more death. There's no more devil. There's no more beast. There's no more sadness, right? Let me make sure I got that right. He'll wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning. There will be no crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. My dad had an interesting comment on that. I, I can remember. My dad was a good preacher. He studied one semester in a Bible college, but he read a lot. He said, God wipes away our tears in heaven. So apparently... We will cry. Now, Dad went on to say, what are we crying about? He said, we're crying about the people who didn't make it, or our friends, and in some cases, family members. But it says there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. I know. So what if him wiping the tears away is the initial... Could be. Letting go of the old. Yeah. And then, after that. And then it's all good. Yeah. I'm okay with that. One more and done? All right. <laughs> Have a good cry. Yeah. Get it out Let's for see. eternity. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, okay. So 
The question is, can we have free will, right? Right. And have no sin. Because, well, like, right. Because, right. yeah. I mean, think about it. So we, we kind of have to go back to the beginning. God made everything good, right? Right. And then Adam and Eve defied him, and then that created division. Right. Okay. Now, that's where sin was born. Well, I mean, that's where we have to assume sin was born. It was that defiance of God, right? right. But we look at that and say... Um, that that was sort of heaven, right? They were with God, and I th- and so I think we have we have to make that distinction that heaven is when you are with God, mm-hmm. right? Heaven isn't this floaty place we go to. We've talked about right, that, right? Um, so so where where Adam and Eve existed with God was sort of an overlapping of heaven and earth. Yes. So we do not go to heaven. No, right. We talked about that. Right. We don't go to heaven. We are resurrected to a new heaven and a new earth. Right. And we will be with God. Right. Right? Because heaven and earth will sort of just kind of become this cohesive thing. It's kind right? of like that Garden of Eden all over again. Exactly. It's an overlapping of heaven and earth. Exactly. And so the question is, though, if if we had the ability to sin then, right. will we still have that ability to sin. And that's Carrie's question. Right. And the best answer I can possibly give you is I don't know. <laughs> but but um are, are you some, wimping out on it? I'm not. Zach? I'm not. I'm not wimping out on you. It's just there's a lot of really tricky language here. Um there won't be any more sin. Right. Right. Because sin causes pain, sin causes Sadness and mourning, and there's not going to be any of that. We've we've got a bunch of uh, terms here that that probably it's worthwhile to talk about a little bit. First of all, the term free will, that is not a biblical term. The word free will right. does not occur in the Bible. Um, I'm not sure when they actually came. It, it might have been Anselm back in the 1500s that began to talk about free will, but. C.S. Lewis has one of the best takes on that. He said, when you ask the question of whether or not man had free will or not, it's it's really, you're asking the question, is man a separate entity? Is man something distinct from God? If God creates something distinct from him, then it has, it must have free will. But... <laughs> to retort on what you just said, okay? I agree, but at the same time, Christ says, let them be one with us as I am one with you mm-hmm. and you are mm-hmm. one with me. Right. And therefore, we're to be of a like-mindedness with God. It goes on to say uh, in Acts that all the believers together and they were of one heart and one mind. Right. Okay? So technically, right now, we are of one heart and mind with God if we are with Christ. That is the challenge, right? I wish I could it's say not, I was it's with not perfect. one heart might with perfect. God. But, but in all fairness, things haven't been made new yet. The True. old ways yes. haven't passed away. Right, right, so right. Th- it's not perfect yet, but it will be. The Satan in me has not been thrown into the lake of fire yet. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> um, here's here's the thing though. So so I I don't know if we'll have free will or not. I'm led to believe we will because that's how God wanted us created, right? That's how he made us. 
but there will be a new creation. And so there, there's a few ways of looking at this. Like, you can talk about the fact that God is so perfect. Like, it's, it's okay, it, it kind of goes to the argument of, like, why doesn't God just reveal himself to man, right? Yeah, yeah. God is so perfect and so powerful that if he revealed himself to man, everyone would believe, but they'd believe for the wrong reasons, right? And so God wanted a group of people that would love him, on their own would choose to love him, right? Lewis makes a big deal about that. Right. Love requires free will. Right. And so my question is, though, once God has determined who those people are, who he knows loved him with or without the ability to turn away from him, Mm -hmm. what's wrong then for him to take away their ability to sin? Because now he's already established these people would have followed me no matter what. Yeah. They, They would have loved me no matter what. Now I'm going to take away their ability to do wrong. I think that's, you know, that's a possibility. I would put a slightly different spin on that. Instead of saying that God takes away their ability to sin, I think what happens is sin has been destroyed. It's been destroyed. That's, that's the other thing, right? Yeah. But then, there is now no temptation. Dude, we're opening up a can of worms here. Why would? Well, you it's me, Can I ruin it a little confusing. bit? Try it. Try okay. it. Yeah. Go for it. So does that mean God made sin? Great question. Because the I, traditional answer is no. Right. But in this scenario, if you're saying that it's a destroyed thing, yeah. who created it? Did we create it? Because then that means if we created it, sin came because we had the ability to make it. And we chose to make it. So something has to change in us that we no longer want to make sin. Yeah. But in the beginning, they didn't I think that's more of what happens in heaven. But did they have perfect hearts in the beginning then? Apparently not. Okay. That I'm fair with. Yeah. That's fair. So if things weren't perfect, it doesn't say they were perfect, it says they're good. <laughs> right. That's that's right. That's right. <laughs> this is good. This, um, One of the other things that happens, and, and this is really kind of a convoluted argument, but Augustine, uh, church father, long time ago, uh, 300 years after Christ or so, he began to talk about the realities of heaven and said that heaven exists outside of our own space and time. It's interesting that Augustine had enough of a concept of time that he was able to say that heaven existed outside of time. So eternity is just kind of timelessness. It's not necessarily time extending way beyond in every direction. It is timeless. So, if in heaven there was a period in which sin was committed, that period is over and done with. It has been burned in the lake of fire. I guess I'm not following here. This is this is a little. <laughs> That's deep. why I say it's kind of a convoluted argument. So, but you're saying it's outside of time. So, how is there a period of time in heaven? I don't know, because 
because I don't exist there, and I, and, right. and I can't. It's like a fish in water. That's just it, a though, fish right? has no concept of what water is. Okay, because that's all they know. Okay, I have no concept of what it is to exist without time. Right, because that's all I know. And and so here here's you're kind of getting into string theory right now, actually, which is kind really? of interesting. Yeah, Ew. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the idea here. Well, I guess it's the explanation for string theory that, you know, a, a being sitting at a third dimension, like we're three dimensional, we can understand this piece of paper that when I turn it sideways, it's two dimensional. Which is two dimensional, right? right. And then I can draw a dot on that piece of paper and understand that that's one dimensional. That's, one dimensional. that's a dot, right. okay? But I cannot comprehend the fourth dimension, which would be basically like if I looked at you, I would see some weird like string of you from birth to death. All at once, because time's happening all at the same time in this fourth dimension, or at least they suppose. You know, yeah. it's, it's philosophical. But, like, I can't comprehend that because I'm not a four-dimensional being. I'm a three-dimensional being. Well, God is, like, what dimensional being is God? You know what I mean? Like, he's outside of this almost. Right, right, right. And so it's kind of crazy for us to think we can speculate it and fully comprehend it, just like the Trinity. We can't fully comprehend the Trinity. But I get it. Yeah. I get the gist of it. Yeah. And that's good enough. God makes it clear enough to me that I don't have to know how it works. I can understand that it is. Right. I don't have to understand how. That's for God it to know. Is. And that's kind of right. what he says to Job, you know? He's like, look, you just need to kind of take my word on this because I am the <laughs> one who knows how this works, and you are not. And you are finite, and I am infinite. Um, and that kind of leads me to what I think is the bigger question here, okay? And um, I think we all struggle with it. But I think the reason we ask questions like this, and we all do, right, mm -hmm. um, is like, you know, is there free will in heaven, is because we think that somehow our happiness is found in free will. Hmm. You know, we think if we let go of free will, we become less. Okay. Right? But I don't think, either way, whether we do or we don't, Whatever it is, is perfect because God is saying it is. Like, he is going to bring us into perfection. He is going to take away every tear from our eyes, pain. It's just going to be happiness. It's going to be perfect unity being in the presence okay. of God. And so whether or not we do have free will, it's really not a good or a bad thing. You see what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> So one of the questions that Carrie asks very, very directly, if there is free will in heaven, what stops there from being another fall? Can we fall out of heaven? No. There will never be another fall. That's made clear biblically. This is it. It's finite. There, where where finite. is that? Well, he said there, w there will be no more death ah. or mourning or crying or pain. Okay. Another fall would bring more death, mourning, crying, and pain. That's true. There That's will be very none true. of that. And there is none of that. And so we know there can never be another fall. Okay. It's, okay. A, it's, it's perfect from here on out. I like that answer. So I, like I don't know. Answer. And again, we're saying that there won't be another fall, but we can't explain why. There right. couldn't be if we still have free will. It's kind of like I just I don't I don't understand the physics 
of why my car works when I get in it. <laughs> but I know how to drive it, and I know what I'm supposed to do to drive it. Okay. And I trust the people that made that car that they made it well. And if it breaks, I trust the people that fix cars, and I take it to them. And I don't know how to fix the car, but I know that they do, and I trust them. Yeah. Well, God is infinitely more complex and more intelligent than either of those two scenarios. Right, right. And he's asking you to know that everything's going to be good and you don't have to understand it fully, but you just need to know what you need to do. And that's to be like my son, Jesus. I like Be that. like him. Yeah. Trust in me. And, and just believe me that everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be right. I think that that's all we can do. I like that. But answer. it is fun to speculate. It does <laughs> end on something very concrete, doesn't it? Yeah. Where after that, well, oh, I was just gonna say the the he no, no, no. Who, yeah the he who seated on the throne said, "I'm making everything new." And then he said, "Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true." Huh. Something we can bank on. Boom, you can bank on it. Yep. And he's proven himself nice. time and time again. He's the God that does not. He doesn't back out of what he says. Yeah. His word is good, and it's yeah. always good. Yeah. And so we can stand on that. So free will in heaven. Maybe if it can be called free will, um, it may be. It, certainly, there is love. Let me say this: we are free in Christ. You know what? No, yeah, we're going here. Okay, <laughs> we have been slaves to sin our entire life, and we've lived with free will. But in Christ, we are slaves to Christ, and hmm. that is where we find freedom. And so even if I am only capable of doing good in Christ, that is freer than having the ability to choose what I do yeah, and to, yeah, do, to, yeah. to do good or evil. Maybe the issue is that we hand over our free will to Christ because there's no longer a desire to do anything other than what he tells us to do. We use our free will to give up our free will. We've done that as believers in Christ. Yeah. We have handed over our lives to Jesus and True. said, it's not me living, but it's you living in me. Tell me what to do. So we have already, if you are a follower of Christ, you've already come to him and said, I'm good with giving up the reins. And so why are we struggling with that concept beyond this life? Interesting, yeah. And I yeah. never thought of it that way. I hadn't either. But I like it. Kind of like that, yeah. Thank you for this wonderful question. Mary. That is an excellent like question. Thank you, Carrie. I like it. You got anything to add to that? I really don't. Do we have any other questions? I think that's it. Okay. Or at okay. least for now. But if you've got questions, these are fun. I like just kind of like tackling these. Um, if you've got questions, send them to Salty Saints at uh, becomehope.com or uh, questions at becomehope.com. Yep. Yep. Cool. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, stay salty. Hello, my name's Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. But it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there.